ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast on the Pit Podcast Network. I'm Shad, joined tonight by Matt and Brad. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. Excellent. Well, tis the season of Halloween. So we decided to take a look at an old show. To go back into the archives and talk about an old show... But we'll get to that in a minute, because first, we want you to know that we've got some social media presence, and we'd love to hear from you on it. We're on Facebook, aren't we, Brad? Yep, we are Four Corners Podcast on Facebook. That is the number four. Corners is one word, podcast. Give us a like and leave us a comment. All right. <clears throat> and if you don't like Facebook, but you do like them Twitters... You can hit us up there, right, Matt? That's right. We are on the Twitters. We are at uh, Podcast Four Corners. That is the capital P. That's the number four, Podcast Four Corners. And we absolutely want you guys to follow us, send us tweets, talk to us about wrestling and all things wrestling-related, mixed martial arts as well, anything really. You can talk to us about uh, Halloween and what your costume's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> And as it turns out, we're on Instagram, too. It is the number four, so Four Corners Podcast, all mashed in there together. Um, I'm adding stuff as we go. But if social media is not your thing, then you can also email us. Right, Brad? Yep, uh, that is pitpodcast25 at gmail.com. Just a warning, I don't check it every week, so... If I'm slow to respond, it's because I don't check it regularly. I'm I try and check in about once a week on it. Okay. Uh, shout outs we need to do, and we try and get these out of the way. So <clears throat> we are we have our our, um, our pending partnership with Collar and Elbow coming up. Collar and Elbow gear made by wrestlers for wrestlers and wrestling fans. So. Uh, we'll be getting, once all the paperwork sorted out and done, we'll be getting uh, discount codes we'll send out there. Colin Elbow drops new merchandise or new designs uh, every three months. And they're run by good guys and they have good quality stuff. Recommend you check them out. And for our last but definitely not least shout out, who would that be, Matt? That would be the Epico Cologne. Uh, I don't know what people are going uh, for as Halloween, but dressing up as Epico would be a fine costume. <laughs> you would certainly be the most, the coolest kid on the block. Get all the candy. I I saw a joke earlier today <clears throat> that said that uh, if the uh, the Colognes are still doing their their uh, timeshare salesman gimmick. Is the name of their finish the last resort? I don't know, but you should follow Epico too. Uh, he's on Twitter and Instagram is at WWE Epico, so check him out too. If for no other reason than yeah, we like Epico. <clears throat> so we were going to go back into the archives, and while we were discussing. Which, what we wanted to look at in terms of a Halloween show, well, Halloween Havoc comes to mind pretty much immediately, given that it's in the name. And then Brad said, wait, I know which one it should be. And really, really pushed for 
this show, Halloween Havoc 1995. Well, and the thing is, there there's just such a wealth of good shows with Halloween Havoc, but this show has monster trucks, so it won. <laughs> yeah, this is this is known as the the one with the Halloween Havoc, uh, with the monster truck. Uh, sumo match. It was a sumo match. We can't they, forget that. Yes, yeah, so they kept calling them monster sumo trucks. Right. Uh, guys, before we start, can I play a little something? Go for uh, it. Sure. It would not be Halloween without this song. <laughs> oh. For those you who have know, seen Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Season of the wow. Witch. As soon as that it got started, I was like, oh. Because you said it wouldn't be Halloween without this. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, what could it be? Could it be Monster Mash? Could it be Thriller? Nope, Silver Shamrock Jingle. <laughs> have you done the drinking game where you take a shot every time that jingle plays in the course of the movie? Oh, no. I wasn't aware of this. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know how badly that would mess you up, but please drink responsibly. I guess I, guess I could have played this too. Okay, this could be just the the traditional Halloween movie theme. Yep. So, so where are you There's guys? There's apparently at? a club mix version of this, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I think I've heard it. Yeah. Where Where are you guys yeah, at right. on the Nightmare on Elm Street versus Friday the Thirteenth versus Halloween? Um, Battle of the Slashers from the eighties. I personally am a uh, a Jason Voorhees fan, so that'd be number one. Number two would probably be Nightmare on Elm Street. Number three would actually be Halloween. Although Halloween is my wife's favorite, and we've actually we've seen like uh, we've seen like two or three of the movies now. We're actually probably going to watch the new one. I would go. Or the new one's good. I would go Nightmare. I would probably go the same you would go, but I might interchange Halloween and uh, no, I might do I would do Nightmare and then Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween are about same level for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just Here. something about the that first Nightmare on Elm Street movie that is so creepy, like that where he's like coming down the street and his like arms super long and he's just kind of like dragging his claw on the the like the the tin. There's just something creepy about that. For me, the uh, I would actually I never got into Nightmare, so <clears throat> I would not put that at the top. So I'm I'm, I'm breaking breaking the trend here. Um, if for creepy stuff, I'm probably gonna go with Halloween first. But the thing is, the Friday the Thirteenth movies have a film in it that I find absolutely hysterical. Whichever Friday the 13th has the, the telekinetic girl in it is oh, that's, the, no. the funniest. Is that that's Jason number, no, 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 that's like number seven, I think. Okay. It's, it's new blood or something like that. And so the, the girl has these powers and they take her out to crystal lake. Cause that's where her dad died to hope, hopefully confront it or whatever. And when Jason shows up, she beats the crap out of him with her telekinetic powers. And in watching that film, <clears throat> I cannot watch it without hearing Jason's inner monologue. Gotcha now. 
oh, crap. And, you know, with everything that happens to him, he gets dropped through the floor. He gets a flight of stairs dumped on him. He gets electrocuted by high-voltage power lines. And every time I just hear him saying, it's like, oh, I got you now. I got you. No! And over and over again, and I cackle through I, the whole thing. I also want to say, it is not a good movie, but I highly enjoyed Freddy vs. Jason. <clears throat> You don't actually get the showdown until like what seventy five minutes into it, like a no, but it's a good hundred minute movie. It's a good fight, <coughs> though. So, um, they're not usually my my real bag, but the you know the um, I I dust them off every couple of years. Um, I'm much more of a if I when Halloween comes around, I I usually dust off the old uh, Universal monster movies. Oh man, I love oh. those. And they have them in those nice cheap legacy collections that you can get each monster's movies in like a set for like twenty bucks or less. You know what I'm also a big fan of? Uh the Hammer film uh oh, studio yeah. productions. Like they they had so many like really good movies. Those are those are really hard to get on Blu ray too, but um Yeah, there's and um Christopher Lee. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's still available. Once if, once upon a time, uh, Amazon was selling like a box set of like all of them, all of them, like all of their films, the Hammer the Studio films. But I never bought it because it was like ridiculously expensive. It was like two hundred bucks or something like that. I think you can get it used, but like I've been trying to get them on Blu-ray, and you can get some of them, but others you can't. It's really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Because I have about I just need they recalled the creature of the black lagoon legacy set which upsets me on blu-ray but i have i have all the others but the invisible man in the um in the course of of movies that kind of fit around halloween my favorite though is none of those i get the closest is the the old universal ones but it is uh none other than young frankenstein ah excellent choice I love Young Frankenstein, and I love all the work that went into it. But okay, this yeah, my, is my wife and I. My wife and I say Igor all the time. There is a, a guy I know who who does uh, an Igor costume at at conventions, and uh, we have great fun. And um, <laughs> I I've I've been known to randomly say he would have an enormous vonstika. <laughs> <laughs> well. <clears throat> Since this is a wrestling podcast, <laughs> hey, it's it's I'm appropriate gonna, to the content. It, it's appropriate to the content, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try and and pull us back over to the the show in question. Halloween Havoc '95 um, is a odd odd show. Um, if you can find a way to get a hold of the the main event, which is acts as the pre-show, there's some pretty good stuff on it. Uh, uh, isn't that right, Brad? Yeah, so this, uh, the the main event match is uh, Eddie Guerrero defeated Disco Inferno in a fun little three-minute match. Then there was Paul Orndorff defeated the Renegade in a nothing match. Then um, this is probably the best of the pre-show matches. It was uh, Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko defeating the Blue Bloods of Lord Stephen Regal and uh, Earl Robert Eaton. <laughs> this one was... This one was a little sloppy, but it got a little time, so it was a, it was a fun little match. And then um, Four Corners podcast favorite uh, 
Craig Pittman defeated uh, <laughs> VK Wall Street in a quick little match. I hope everyone stood at attention when Sergeant Craig Pittman came out. But they, How they did we not? Uh, this this also had Eric Bischoff and Dusty Rhodes and um on commentary, and Dusty Rhodes whipped out the old he's clubbering. He clubbering him, clubbering man. He be clubbering Tony. And um. They also kind of did this thing. They had um, the giant up there on his monster truck and Hogan hadn't shown up yet. And then his main event kind of goes off the air. Hogan drives up in his monster truck. So it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a decent enough primer for the rest of the show. Yeah. So the, the show itself kicks off with uh, this match surprised me. It was Johnny B. Bad. Versus Diamond Dallas Page with the Diamond Doll and Max Muscle for the WCW World Television Championship. I, I just have to say, this match kicked ass. <clears throat> yeah, I was honestly surprised with how good this was. Because, not to throw shade at Mark Marrow, but if, if you think high-quality matches, Mark Marrow's not one of the first names that usually pops to mind. And this was kind of earlier in Paige's career, but this was really good. This is what you, oh, this is, this is a great example of the kind of stuff you open a show with. Cause was, man, the people were into it. It was very modern feeling too. Like it felt like something that you'd see on TV today. Yeah, it was, it was a really good match. It was a well-worked match. I thought Johnny B. Bad was decent enough. Like he could, he could at least have decent matches with good opponents, and mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily think DDP at this stage in his career would be that. But he, uh, he more than held up his end of the bargain. I actually thought one of the things I loved about this is that he played like just a classic heel. Um, I mean, I overall am a fan of DDP, but I think what really showed in this match is that when he was when he was back being just like a sleazy heel. Like he totally got the character, and he would do little things in the match that kind of just would, would really like, kind of point that out that he was just like this dick, that he would, you know, he would do like little things, uh, like cheating or using, I guess, Max Muscle, who who remembered that guy existed back in mid nineties. I had forgotten. I can I actually take a step back? Like, did you did you guys watch like the pre-show, um, like hype? video or package that they put together because i remember that episode of wcw saturday night uh or i guess i guess johnny b bad was supposed to be challenging uh ddp or or somebody for uh, he's supposed to be challenging for the u.s belt wasn't he yeah that's what it was was it one man gang maybe yeah he's supposed to be challenging for the title and then uh he didn't make it and then he shows up later on in the show like the match never happens and he shows up la- later in the show and it's comical because like he shows up in like street clothes and they it's one of those things that's like what, did Hollywood uh, write this segment because he he alleges he had car trouble and a flat tire and you know that that's true because he has just uh, comical like grease smudges on oh, his face yeah, it, was, <laughs> and, it always looked like camo uh, yeah, it looked yeah, like camo. It looked like he, I did see that. Now that you mention it, yeah, yeah, it looked like someone just basically smeared mascara on his face. But uh, he says like, "Oh yeah, it's so terrible. Like, I, this is the biggest night of my career, and I couldn't make it because I had a flat tire. Uh, but I'm here now." And then DDP and Max Muscle walk up, and they're like mocking him. And then Max Muscle goes, 
it's a pretty bad break, you know, getting four flat tires. And then it, it's it's cheesy as this was. I actually thought it was a clever way of doing it. Like Johnny D. Bad flips out and he goes, four flat tires? I said a flat tire. And so it's implying, of course, that DDP and Max Muscle had something to do with this, you know, this nefarious thing that that cost Johnny D. Mm-hmm. Bad his title match. But uh, he just starts brawling with them and like starts throwing punches. And then as cheesy as a segment as it was, uh, I loved that package because one, that's the sort of stuff that happened on like WCW Saturday night all the time. And I loved it. It was like really entertaining. And two, I yeah. actually thought it was good about getting this match over and actually made you care about a match that otherwise was just like, you know, the curtain jerker on this pay-per-view. Yeah. Also- it's really, it, it was really interesting to have the fact that they built a pay-per-view match out of one segment. Yeah. And it didn't feel stupid, I guess. Also, <laughs> also for sense? a bit of trivia, fake Johnny B. Bad in the entranceway is none other than jumping Joey Mags. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what Wikipedia <laughs> says. Did he uh, Did he used to tag with jumping Jeff Farmer? No. Um... Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Joey Mags did a lot of like job work. He did. Okay. He was uh, he was a mainstay on a on like WCW Saturday Night. Him and uh, the Italian Stallion. He did hold the USWA World Tag Team Titles with Rex King at one point, though. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> so we had, um, yeah, we had this opening match that was really good. Yeah, and back and forth. And really, you know, not like you could see the basic structure to it, but it was also not formulaic. Uh, It was it was a really good match. And I'll I'll be honest with you, it surprised me. Um, So in going through this, you want to hang on to that opener to kind of kind of um, (laughs) sustain you. It's for. Yeah. Yeah. It's at the tone, right? I had a brief glimmer of hope that maybe we had stumbled upon like a diamond in the rough show. And then the next match <laughs> came out. Yeah. Before, the next match. B- before we Go move ahead, on man. to that, uh, one more thing about this match. Like I thought overall I was, I was entertained by the commentary on the show. It was Tony Schiavone and, and Bobby, the brain Heenan. Um, I thought the uh-huh. brains work throughout the pay-per-view was, was actually very entertaining, but I liked, he started off well in this one because he was pulling off some of his old like brain stick uh, in particular, anything, yeah. any comment directed towards Kimberly, he just was as chauvinistic as much of a chauvinistic pig as possible. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought it was right. hilarious. You know what he that... did that surprised me? And I'm going to say it now because um, I'm not going to remember it by the time we get to the main event. He mentioned it during the main event. He's like, you know, they're not doing moves like Eddie Guerrero or Sabu during the Hogan giant match. And I was really shocked that he like, just he called them out by name mm-hmm. during that match. But Bobby, yeah. Bobby was good about selling, like selling people. And, the, like, and he, the, he was good about doing like having that continuity of, of even undercard guys, like trying to get them over. And, um, they would, t- they were talking about like TV shows, like things that happened on like shows. Like they, you know, at one point they were talking about like, luger beating someone on the weekend shows and someone else they're talking about like him wrestling on main event or pro or something Mm -hmm. yeah heenan was really good about plugging 
all of the shows. But he said everything that's happening so much here, you got to be tuned in for all of it. Yeah, because because um, throughout the show, like I, you forget like with the modern product and how overproduced and scripted it is. Like you forget this kind of like what like what the universe of a wrestling promotion used to feel like and like how unpredictable it would feel and just like the cohesion and like how the wins and losses were actually important at one point. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Mm -mm. ahead. I was just, and Bobby in particular was actually great about selling all of that. Yeah, he was. It was really great to, to hear that, you know, Heenan and Shivani did a good job with the commentary through the whole show. Um, you know, given what they had to work with, <laughs> which, I, which will lead into our next match. Yeah. Um, the next match was Randy Savage versus the booty man. Zodiac. AKA now this booty was, man. AKA this was, this was before AKA. the, uh, the beauty days of the booty man. Yes. <laughs> Which is probably his most successful gimmick in uh, WCW. Well, no, he was, I mean, the Disciple was probably his most successful gimmick. Yeah. He didn't really I'm, do anything as the Disciple. Well, I know, exactly. Fair enough. Fair point. <laughs> so the, <laughs> Nobody I think knows the, who it is. I think the but. nicest thing I can say about this match is it was 90 seconds long. Yeah, um... Well, I, this match also, the winner went on to face the winner of a later match for what? Was it the number one contendership? No, or? I think that was just a match for the sake of having a match. They never really said. Okay. Um, what, did they style it as like both uh, Savage and Luger had to fight uh, members of the Dungeon of Doom? Because they both did. They didn't and I was confused it. too. They didn't explain it well and they really didn't get into it until the end of this and then in Luger's match more. Hmm. But I, I also, the I, one thing that it was stood out, would go on face savage, but go ahead. I was going to say the one thing that really stood out for this is the Zodiac got zero reaction. Yeah. <laughs> There's good reason for that. Well, it was, let's be honest. It, part of it was like that. That was like his third, I think third or fourth gimmick within a year. Yeah. And plus, people didn't really care. <laughs> and Savage was over. Oh yeah, Savage yeah. was over the whole show. So you can, you can kind of tell, like with these shows, like they didn't really embrace. I mean, Hogan was over, but like he didn't feel like he didn't. He never felt like he belonged until like the NWO stuff. But Savage, like you could tell, like the WCW crowds like really respected him and took to him. Mm-hmm. He had good matches in WCW. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, he's he largely when they started to catch on in '96 before the NWO, it was it was because of Savage. Yeah, it, it Savage had Savage fit WCW a little better um, than a lot of people did. Well, you know. In, um. There was a point in 1989 where he might have jumped from WWF to NWA, and that would have been really interesting. Yeah, it really would. <laughs> so we had um, oh, Savage guys... Zodiac had a match 
and it ended. Uh, Did you guys catch the when the fan jumped in the ring? I think so. Yeah, that happened. Even as quick as this match was, at one point there was like a fan who jumped in the ring, like and got inside the ring. Yeah, WCW security let that happen a lot. Yeah, but I thought it was interesting because like Savage being like the pro he was, he literally just like threw Zodiac to the ring outside the ring and was just like brawling with him while security handled the situation. And it looks seamless. Yeah. Like he, he didn't even, and usually like you know, when they do that back in the day, the, the wrestlers would actually like throw a punch or something, but he obviously didn't want to give the guy any attention. I just yeah. thought that was really fascinating. Well, it's interesting that, that Savage kind of ignored it because usually Savage unloaded on people that did that. Um, you know, I mean, he, he just hammered on someone that would hit the ring like that. And it seemed to happen to Savage a lot. So. Yeah. Okay, so that match happened. And then we went on to the next match, which was Road Warrior Hawk versus Kurosawa with Colonel Robert Parker. So uh, my, thoughts, my thoughts on this is... Um, we all know why Colonel Robert Parker is the happiest man in pro wrestling. Um, <laughs> and there was a pro wrestling match. Yeah. Um, it, Matt, why don't you go for well, it, ahead? Yeah, for, those, for those who aren't aware, um, who don't follow like Japanese wrestling, I know Brad knows this, uh, Kurosawa was, uh, or eventually became, uh, Mononobu Nakanishi. Who actually had a lot, a lot more success. Um, he, he, in, he he was like a, well, he's still in New Japan. Like right. uh, he's been he's been a mainstay in Japan, New Japan for like twenty years. Mm-hmm. This was it, this obviously had to have been in part both because WCW had like a, a working relationship with New Japan, and this is probably like what when he was basically just like a young boy trying to get he's you know seasoning, a learning excursion that they gave him a gimmick. Yeah, Let's see, he would be. Um, I'm looking. Yeah, he's a little older. He would have been 28 here. Mm, okay. And he debuted in, well, and he debuted in 92, so he would still be in that. Yeah, he would have been pretty, still pretty green or young yeah, in the business. Yeah, uh, This wasn't a great match, but yeah. one of the things I did appreciate about it is that even though it was, it was a, not a great match and a, it was a quick match, they actually did try to build like a backstory to it with yeah, Kurosawa he, like injuring Hawk in yeah. a previous pay-per-view. Um, and it, there was some intensity in the match, um, but it was, just wasn't good. And the finish was like a, a mess. and yeah, just, There was no yeah. heat or, or pop from the crowd at all. I, is it... I actually forgot this match happened until I looked at this card for the show. <laughs> you know, I don't remember. The, what, Kurosawa took it home with, what, just a a Samoan drop? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird because in the structure of the match, Hawk beat the crap out of him for most of it. And then he just kind of suddenly came back. He... He didn't do it here, but um, Nakanishi actually has one of my favorite moves in all of wrestling where he like torture acts the guy's like leg on his shoulders and then make like uses like 
lifts them up and their own body weights, like putting all the torque on their leg that's on his shoulders. Is that the stretch stretch, muffler? Yeah, the stretch muffler. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great move, and it's no one really uses it. At least Um, not in America. I think Brock Callahan does, but he's so small it's not good. Mm. Did Brock used to use that? Brock used it once. Mm. He did use it once. He used it on... I can't remember who he used it on, but um, he did it on somebody to put them out. And so he... uh, God, it it might have been Zach Gowan for all I know. No, it was Kurt Angle because Kurt had the big brace on his leg. So Brock used the, the stretch muffler on that and it looked terrifying you know because brock has the giant shoulders and everything and he's just like cranking kurt's leg around his neck well that's why it looks so good when nakanishi does it because he's huge too like it's a it's a it's a good big guy move mm-hmm. so we had uh we had that <laughs> yeah i want to i want to throw out something that apparently i'm just reading which i was not aware of but i'm super curious i guess nakanishi at least as of a couple of years ago i don't know if it still happens but he had his own variety show <laughs> on <laughs> japanese television and i'm now super curious to see i wonder if lynch has that on a uh, dvd somewhere oh i hope hey, allegedly there's an episode where nakanishi hmm. cracks open a watermelon with his bare hands nice and then <laughs> him him and liger play on a swing or something like that. That that would be worth owning that episode just for that. Have you ever seen the video of Liger? It's a camera crew falling around and he's like sneaking into guys' rooms at night and pinning them in their sleep. No, but that sounds Without hilarious. Waking them up and like he's like creeping in there, and then he just pin like he just like attacks them in their sleep. It's amazing. I'll see if I can wow. find the video. That sounds almost like something DDT would do. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, DDT has. My favorite uh, match ever, the Campground Battle Royal. I think we've mentioned that before yeah. on the podcast, and that is that is a sight to behold. I've seen some of that. Have you ever seen the, because um, we're going on a tangent here, Mecha Mummy versus um, Minoru Suzuki? No. Oh, it's amazing, because have you ever seen Mecha Mummy, either of you? I feel no. like I have. Okay, so he he's pretty much an anime mech, so like, he has this big, like, foam fist, and he'll shoot it at people, like, which is pretty much throw it at them. And he has, like, a sword he'll attack them with. But he's, his weakness is water, so, like, in this match, like, they fight back and forth, and Suzuki grabs a water bottle and pours it on him, and he shorts out, and Suzuki wins. <laughs> but he, like, goes to the top rope. Like, his, his handlers, like, put wings on him. So he goes to the top rope and he comes like flying off with like a fist in the air and like punches Suzuki in the face. Like it's it's one of the most brilliant matches ever. <laughs> okay. No, I was not aware of that. So can I tell one more uh, yeah, favorite DDT thing? <laughs> Sorry, this is a weird uh, tangent, but yeah. I re- one of the matches I've seen from DDT that was this match is like 10 years old at this point, but it was one of the most bizarre things. And it just kind of it, it is representative of how like crazy DDT can get. Uh, Brad, have you seen the Nosawa versus muscle Sakai silence match? I, I think so. 
for those who don't know, it's it's the damnedest. It's like the strangest thing I've ever seen in pro wrestling, and that covers a lot of ground. It's a match that's was styled as a quote silence match. Um, so the goal was to wrestle your opponent and defeat your opponent with with making as little uh, oh, noise yes, as possible. I and I think I think I can't remember if Nasawa or Muscle Sakai lost. I think, I can't remember who won the match, but it was lost because one of the people farted. <laughs> one of the competitors farted. Did you did you see the video where the open weight championship won itself? No. <laughs> so um, one of the guys took out. I think it was Poison's. Oh, what's his last name? Su- Suama. Knocked this guy out, who was the champion, and put the belt on him. And the referee counted the pin, and the belt won itself. And then at the end of the show, June Akiyama's getting interviewed, and the belt's laying there. And he puts his elbow on it, and the ref's, like, sitting there, like, trying to count. And, like, June keeps, like, taking his elbow off of it when he does that. And then he finally, like, puts his elbow on it, and the ref counts the three and gives him the belt. Wow. That was the for the thousandth holder of the championship. Wow. And um a ladder's won it like five or six times. I think the ladder actually just retired. <laughs> so we're talking all about this because frankly it's it's more engaging than the string of matches that we have yeah. in the middle yeah. of this card. <clears throat> the follow up to Kurosawa versus Road Warrior Hawk is Sabu with the Sheik. Versus JL, who is Jerry Lynn, mm-hmm. under a mask, looking remarkably like someone I can't quite put my finger on. And he was coming out to Ray Mysterio's music. Okay, so we have this... The only way I can describe this match is lots of high spots and not really psychology in it. It felt like, like they had a 12-minute match planned out and were told they had three minutes, so they did all the big spots and cut out all the transition and selling. Yeah. Yeah. So you had, like, Sabu do a top rope victory roll, JL kicks out, and then just gets up. And I, I'm like, you know, from the sound of that, that sounds like that really sounds like it hurt. Yeah, I would have thought you'd be selling it. it. Sabu was really off in this match, too, but I don't think Lynn helped at all. And then they, then they fireballed Lynn, but I somehow missed that because I don't think the camera caught it quite right. The camera didn't really catch it, and it, Sabu didn't do it. It was uh, he. He actually brought out the the original Sheik, not the Iron yeah. Sheik. The original Sheik, who in yeah. real life that's his uncle. Um, yeah. And uh, wasn't the show was this show in Detroit? Yes. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was in Detroit. Hall. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, no, it was the original in, it Sheik. Was in where, the Kobo Hall was next door where they were doing the the monster truck. Yeah. The monster truck was on top of Kobo Hall, but it was right next door to the, was it Joe Lewis Arena? Yeah. So but it was Detroit regardless. Yeah, and um the original Sheik was actually from Michigan. Um so he was always like a big regional star, so him coming out was kind of cool and Sabu was his nephew. For the this is a show that when we're watching here in 2018, it, it we kind of lose this context. But 23 years ago, when this show came out, mm-hmm. is when you know ECW was like super hot, and it would only actually get a little bit hotter with uh, when they finally were able to make it to pay per view. But Sabu was a big thing at the time. 
Um, so it was actually like a big deal that he was with WCW and if it was only for like a minute. Um, and seeing Sabu on like a WCW pay-per-view yeah. um, was crazy. And I don't, do you guys know the story as to why he, his tenure in WCW was so brief? I would assume it's Sabu doing Sabu things. <laughs> Probably. That's what I was going to say. Let me look at um, his Wikipedia says. I doubt it, though. Um, they actually kind of <coughs> pushed him, though. Like, they kind of gave him a... It was... It, well, I mean, let's be honest. We saw Sabu do Sabu spots in this match. And they had three and a half minutes to do everything. Uh, the match ends with um, an Arabian moonsault. And then, like you said, with the fireball, they caught it on the wide angle shot. Like the Sheik threw it after the match was over. So they cut it on the wide angle, but then on the replay, all you saw was the fireball come in from off frame. So it was kind of seemed like a, a wasted spot, to be honest. It was like, well, I brought, I brought this stuff to do this with me. I might as well do it, right? So. Yeah, this, uh, this sucked. <laughs> Um, next match on the card was Lex Luger and Ming. This match was, you know, you would figure just for, for a, a kind of a singles match in the middle of a card, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect a whole lot out of it, but these two guys like put some work into it. Um, they, they were, they were putting some effort into this. Yeah, I was surprised by how much I actually enjoyed this match. I wasn't a big fan of this match. Um, it was okay. Um, I, to me, it was a little slow. And I can't believe they actually gave them as long as they did. They gave them like, how long, like 15 minutes or something? They got 13, 13 minutes for Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean, I thought, I, I, I don't think this was like great or anything, but I thought for like a a TV main event at the time, this would have been good. Like they kept a they kept a decent pace. Um, the ending sucked, but I mean, what can you do? Yeah, it was a long match. Then to do like a let's, weird. Well, I mean, let's finish. hit on the ending. Yeah, you had yeah. the Taskmaster come out with Ming because Ming was a member of the Dungeon of Doom. Apparently, like Kevin Sullivan had been trying to recruit Lex Luger into the Dungeon of Doom, so not everybody in the dungeon was. Uh, aside from Ming, was like kind of a walking joke, I guess. I, I don't know. He was trying to recruit Luger, and so Ming goes for a foreign object he has, hits Luger, goes for the pin, and then Sullivan breaks it up to cause Luger to win by DQ. <sighs> um. Yeah. It. It. If they would. If they would have put put like a real finish on this, this I would have thought this would have been a more memorable match okay it probably since, would have been yeah since we're talking dungeon of doom let's bring this up real quick because it, it for a long time i kind of wondered what the deal <laughs> was because there's some cartoony stuff in the dungeon of doom right so i came i came across a shoot interview a while back with kevin sullivan and Is that the one where he's talking about getting hogan off the smack I don't know about getting him off the smack, but with Hogan coming in, he's like, look, I had to have something to feed to Hogan, right? Because he's so used to having these 
big over the top heels come at him in New York. I had to have something to feed to him, right? Yeah, this Some- is this is that that this is what I was talking about. Like that's what what he was talking about when he was getting him off the smack. Like he was feeding him this so that he could get Hogan to trust him and see that like what Sullivan wanted to do was better than what Hogan thought was what would work. Yeah. So he had to have um, he had to have this this of quote unquote villains. You know, uh, and and so God, some of them were goofy, goofy, goofy choices. Um, in the middle of this show, maybe somewhere around this point, the Taskmaster, who led the Dungeon of Doom, stood next to his father, the Master. Yeah, that was who, right before this match. Okay, yeah, that segment. Yeah, and it was. That was, I had to look it up, but it turns out that was King Curtis Iakea as the master under a big pile of makeup and weird lighting and, and odd, you know, uh, wardrobe choices. <laughs> yeah, he Talking about a, something. He kind of did a similar gimmick in the WWF, like around 85 and 86. Okay. <clears throat> but he sat there in this chair and talked about something. It went on for, I, I swear to God, this interview, this promo felt like it was 20 minutes. And with, with Sullivan as a taskmaster standing right next to the throne, they kept zooming in on Sullivan's face. And so he's trying to have like this serious look on his face, but I swear it looked like he was asleep with his eyes. open. Yeah. The, the Dungeon of Doom also got us John Tenta as Shark. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> I, it was... There was a lot of um, weird stuff in the Dungeon of Doom. <laughs> I, I also want to say, what was with Ming wearing a mask to the ring that he did not wear afterwards? Oh, I didn't know what that was about either. I forget. I forget that part of this period of WCW. Yeah, but you know what was cool though, and it, bringing up Heenan again is like Heenan talking about how you know Ming was like a sumo wrestler and like a bodyguard. Like they really put over like what a tough guy. Oh he is. yeah, bringing up. Oh yeah, I stuff. love that. Yeah. yeah, they didn't. They didn't talk about. They didn't talk yeah. about all the stories we hear about Ming, but. You mean biting the guy's nose off? My my favorite example of, of the reputation Ming has is Jake Roberts. He says, if I was in a tank and I had one shell in the tank and I had one bullet and a gun I had in my hand, I'd hop out of the tank and shoot myself because I'd be afraid that I'd take a shot at Ming and I wouldn't kill him. I'd just hurt him. Yeah, just you piss know, him off. Yeah, and all the stories about him. And... <laughs> You know, on one hand, as as big as some of the stories are, you kind of wonder. It's like, how embellished are these? But then you have people corroborating the stories, and it's just like, that's a terrifying guy. You know what's terrifying about him is the stories don't come from him. No, he doesn't tell anyone. <laughs> no. You're right. He's not he's not like building his own uh legacy or his own legend here. He's 
He's been silent about all of it. It's other people who are telling the stories. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't tell any of them. He just, he stays quiet and he retired and I think he works for a car dealership now. And, (laughs) but then, you know, I wonder if people there know that there's a story that he got in a fight with some guys in a bar and like took his fingers and ripped some dude's teeth out by hand in the course of this fight or or stuff like that. No one could ever pull that move off ever again, but the Tongan death grip was a really good move at the time, but I think it only worked because of him. I think if you were to give it to somebody else, it wouldn't work. No, but there was just something about the way he did it. Like that move was great in the day. It, it was odd to have a, um, to have a, have Ming have, have a move that kind of seemed understated, you know, it wasn't some big power move or it wasn't this hard hitting, you know, as the WWE games have it. It wasn't like some big running attack move. It was just he just reached out and grabbed some nerves on the side of your neck, and then like yelled in your face. Yep. Uh, I imagine that nobody had the guts to say to him, "Ming, maybe we shouldn't do something else." Because when he grabs, he's got his fingers on either side of your throat and is yelling in your face. You just go. Oh, God, I just got to keep him happy. So because I'm not in a good place right now. Um, In 97, Benoit versus Ming was one of my favorite feuds from that year. Hmm, I don't really remember that. that. Yeah, I have to look that up. They were they were building back up to Sullivan and um, Benoit. So he had had a pay-per-view match where Ming beat him. But then he had to go through the members of the dungeon to get back to Sullivan and the match before that was like Ming and Benoit, like right before, like right after Ming had just beaten him on pay-per-view. So I think that was probably Great American Bash 97. Okay. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Benoit had to just like put him out with a crossface. But there was like a, I think there was like an interview and this is going to, this, this, I probably couldn't watch this again because it's, it's Nancy Sullivan, obviously. But there's some interview on mm, Worldwide or yeah. something with the two of them. And she's like pleading with him not to face Ming like in the build up to it because like I, he brutalized him the first time. Right. Yeah, and, I'm uh, seeing ooh. I'm seeing Benoit versus Ming at uh, Great American Bash 97, a death match. Yeah, that's the one that where he gets the Sullivan thing. But I think he just like Ming never taps the crossface like Benoit just like puts him out. But I think if you go uh, now back I to, look that up. if you go back to go back two pay per views from that Matt, and I bet you'll see Ming beat him. I actually have a shirt upstairs right now that it looks like it's one of those '90s um, flea market shirts with the big skull on the front, <clears throat> but underneath it it says "Faces of Fear, Ming and the Barbarian." And with those two guys' names on it, then I have nothing negative to say about that shirt at all. <laughs> let's see. I'm so, just curious. Maybe it was... Let's see. It was slambery, it looks yeah. like. Okay. <clears throat> so that, that one saw Luger win. And then the next match... Hold on, I'm guys. Sorry, yeah. 
you guys are missing since we're talking about Dungeon of Doom at the very beginning of this uh, Lex Luger Mang match. Tony uh, breaks in to inform us that the Yete is in the building. Oh yes, <laughs> that's oh, well, relevant. That's right, the Yete is there. That's relevant. That's later true. On. It'll be relevant later. Yes, you're. Mm-hmm. You're. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, and then the next match we had was Sting and Ric Flair versus Brian Pillman and Arn Anderson. So there was a little build on this that um, Pillman and Anderson had jumped Flair in the parking lot. So Flair was still back with the the medical crew, and the match starts. And so, so, so I want to. Can I use an analogy to describe this match to someone that hasn't seen it before? Go sure. for it. Okay, so Lucy puts down a football and totally convinces Charlie <laughs> Brown that this time is going to be different. And Charlie Brown decides he's going to go for it, and this time he's going to kick that stupid football. And Lucy pulls it, and then he goes flying into the air and goes, arg. That's and this that's, match in a nutshell. Yes. It is. One thing I do want to say, though, is for the first five minutes, Sting is beating the crap out of Pillman and Anderson. And the thing that is so remarkable about that to me is that they're doing it in such a way that it looks believable. It's not just that like Sting is wailing on them. He's using a lot of positioning <clears throat> to do stuff so that he can wear someone down. And that way, if they get to the tag, he's in position to, to, um, to cut them off and take over. Or there's something that happens on the outside. And he avoids, like, I think Pillman tries to sling him into the ring post. And he catches the ring post. And uses it to like turn his momentum around and mow them both over. Like Sting does a good job doing a believable two v one and coming out ahead for I don't know the first five minutes or so. You're absolutely right, and I know you would catch that as a fellow Sting fan. Um, yes. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. He did, did a great job with that because he wasn't just steamrolling them. He was he had the advantage and he was basically like kicking their ass, but he was doing it basically because he was like almost outsmarting them. It was doing things like that where it's like, oh, you're going to throw me to the ropes like I'm going to catch it and then use my uh, use the momentum to my advantage. Uh, if they tried to double team him, you know, he'd like slide out of the way or something like it, he was he it was smart. It was smartly done where he knew he, had, he was at a disadvantage. But he wasn't just like, you know, big leaguing them and walking all over them like he's Superman. He was kind of just like doing these clever things where he was constantly kind of like one step ahead. And he was conserving energy while he was doing it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was great. And it was so smart. Like also, it, the crowd was super into this. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was Sting in WCW in the 90s. He's over like crazy. But when I said earlier, like how this makes me this makes me see the flaws in the current product, this match is like crystallizes all that. Like you didn't know what was going to happen next in this match. And um, you weren't like getting cutaways to the crowd shot every five minutes. Like they were just like letting it breathe. And it Mm -hmm. felt Mm -hmm. like a natural thing. And I just loved when like Flair came out. And Flair's just like, fuck it, I'm doing it here. And he just starts taking, like, his jacket off and stuff. And he's just like, I'll just wrestle yeah. my clothes. Yeah. Yeah, he has street, street clothes on and, like, a bandage on his forehead. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, now, let's be fair. You say you didn't know what was going to happen. And yet, in the back of your head, you kind of knew, right? 
<laughs> Even oh, if you didn't know how this match turned out. I was I was ninety five percent sure that this is gonna end the way it was gonna end. Yeah. yeah. Now, after um Pillman and Anderson take over, they do a fantastic job cutting the ring in half. Oh yeah. <laughs> and not only do they do that, and and you know, this is this is kind of an inside baseball look, but Sting not I mean, they're so good on their timing because Sting gets loose to go over to Flair, but whenever he does that, like Pillman's already over there to get Flair's attention to draw him away from the corner so Sting can't get the tag. Or Sting spends time getting to his feet to try and go over to get to Flair to get the tag, which buys time for Anderson or Pillman to get at him. Like, it's, it is so well done in that, that it looks effortless. <clears throat> And I really liked the the sincere way that Flair was cheering Sting on through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in and the way the... he, in the way he was just whipping the crowd into a frenzy for the, for the moment that's never going to come. Yeah, and he they did a, an excellent job building the tension to, uh, up to when Sting actually was going to tag in Flair, and Flair did a Flair did a few things which. Once you know the ending, it really kind of add a lot to the match. But he did things like when when he first got there, he like stormed into the ring and like took off his shoe, like his loafer, and was gonna like hit Arn with it. And then of course like the ref breaks it up, whatever. And he would come in a couple other times, like he was gonna do something. But every time, if you notice, like watching it, every time he was touching Arn or uh, Pillman, it was like a light shove or like a light tap or something like that. He wasn't just like going house of fire on them. And that's obviously foreshadowing to what's going to happen where, you know, when he actually gets a chance to put his hands on him, he's not doing any extreme violence. He's just, it's like a light touch, but it's still like work the crowd up that you're anticipating the tag and he's going to come in there and in theory clean house. Um, and actually one other thing I want to point out, like there was the, I feel like the, the commentary here is really kind of, underrated i think both tony and and bobby really did a great job like i mm-hmm. i can't i think it was bobby who was talking about how like when when arn and um when arn and brian take over uh maybe it was tony but there was this whole story about how like well that's what the andersons do the andersons will sacrifice someone so they can get an advantage because they took over because arn basically like threw pillman into sting and then when yeah. sting was kind of like tied up in it he just like nails him, and then they take the advantage from there. Oh, that's a uh, great point. Yeah, and Bobby was hilarious. Like at one point, they're they're double teaming Sting, and Bobby's like, "They're kicking the pants off him." <laughs> yeah, it it was. I mean, this whole match was really good. <clears throat> so, um, that means we've kind of kept alluding to it, and I'm sure those of you listening at home are aware. Sting gets the hot tag. Flair comes in, hits the rope, struts, and then just pops Sting straight away. I, I love that he didn't even fake like having a match. It was just like, oh, you tagged me in, like, I'm gonna punch you in the face now. Well, As he went he did he went he hit the ropes, he did the strut, and then boom! So there was just yeah. a little bit of extra. And, and you have to understand the crowd like <laughs> The crowd loses its shit when the tag like happens and he comes in. Mm-hmm. 
And then he immediately like kicks them. He he metaphorically kicks every person in that arena right in the nuts right at yeah. the same time. Look, as much of a, a Sting oh, fan yeah. as I am, and I love Flair too. As much as a Sting, uh, much of a Sting fan as I am, I like marked out. Even though I've seen this match like before, I marked out at the turn because you're right. He just, I think, because I think they did it perfectly. They didn't. They didn't like oversell it. He got the tag, and what does he do? He immediately sucker punches Sting. It's his. It's just about the first thing he does, and I loved <laughs> I also... it. I think that. If you're going to do the turn, like, that's a perfect turn. It's like, you're right. He struts, and it's like, I'm, I'm not fucking around. Boom. <laughs> I also like, though, yeah. I also like, though, that, that this is something WWE never does, is Sting also didn't look like a bitch because Sting still gave it to them a little bit, even when it was three-on-one. Like, they struggled to to get him oh, down. Oh, yeah, they had, to, they had to take it. Yeah, because he's still, like, unloading all over him. But I, I will say there's one thing that made me uncomfortable at the very end when Flair was just like straight up kicking him in the head. I was like, ooh. Yeah. Like, but this was this was really good. It was fun to watch. And it was really engaging. Um, and I, it and, also um, was the precursor. Go ahead, Brad. I was going to say, and, and, and Flair is going to get some of that sweet, sweet Miss Elizabeth after this, too. <laughs> <laughs> so this really good match led into what led us to this pay-per-view where it was the sumo monster truck match on top of Kobo Hall where Hulk Hogan um, wasn't going to job in this either. So... Can I can I talk about one thing I really I really enjoyed in the build up video to this that I don't What's know that? if you guys noticed when he was going dark side Hogan did you notice his neck brace was black? Yes, I did. Oh, I, I don't did. think I noticed that. Yeah, I laughed so hard. So I found this fascinating between and you really see it in the main event. Like this is this is almost like a test run for like NWO Hogan. Yeah, they it definitely seemed like they were f- putting feelers out there for like a, a turn. But this this really what frustrated me, though, is they, they were afraid, like almost because what really ruined this Hogan thing is when he did that like Harley promo. Like in the middle of the show. Yeah, where he was doing a Hogan they thing. Were and I'm like, just. And I was like, man, like he should have like blown that off, like have him meet him off camera, but like have him like no show or something, because the dark side Hogan thing was interesting, but they they weren't like willing to go far enough with it, I think. It, it was the middle show had this thing where Hogan was giving away a Harley to a fan. I don't even remember who the fan was, but Hogan's talking, you know, he's doing his regular shtick about riding side by side with a Hulkamaniac. And with this bike, all he wanted to do was touch the seat. I'm like that's strange, but it's it's a standard Hulk Hogan promo. Yeah. So, anyway, you got you got to go up on the roof and have two monster trucks push each other. Um. This also had um. I, it says here on the Wikipedia. So they brought um Bob Chandler who helped build, uh, who created Bigfoot is who the guy was sitting with them. Oh really? 
Yeah, that's what this says. That could oh, be wrong, wow. but that's what Wikipedia says. Wow. And for those of you that don't know, because monster trucks, you, you might like, in today's day and age, you might kind of be like, eh, monster trucks, whatever. In the 80s and 90s, monster trucks were a big deal, and Bigfoot was the big deal. Like, there was... This was, was huge. What was the other one? Gravedigger? Gravedigger. Gravedigger, Gravedigger yeah. is like the big one right now. And I know I, yeah. this because like three years ago, I went to Monster Truck. Okay, <laughs> Monster okay. Jam. So, and so I had what, a blast. So what 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 happens at Monster Jam? Because I've never been. The only time I ever wanted to go was when they had... Um, they had... I know... I'm, I only know it by the Simpsons name, but when Truckosaurus was a thing... That's the only time like I was ever tempted as a child to go is because they had like a car destroying dinosaur. So the time that I went, they usually have like, I don't know, like four, four to five different trucks. And they're, I don't know if you're aware of this. They have like branded trucks. They have, they literally have like dozens of different trucks and they all like, they're they're built up they have like a theme or something like there's one that's uh dressed up like a dog kind of and that one's called like you know junkyard or something like that they all have like cutesy names um and they basically like go around this course and there's like dirt on the on the course so it forms kind of artificial hills and they'll, they'll kind of be doing tricks or whatever over the over the hills and there's sometimes like cars that they crush or drive over and then at the end like gravedigger comes out and does like some stunts or something and that's about so, it so I'm it's, gonna, it's it's actually pretty fun no it's it's fun in like a so weird gravedigger's not way quote unquote competing uh not i don't think he's i don't think they usually are because gravedigger is like the star because the problem is like some of these trucks right. the, the trucks actually like break down oh yeah um, so I think they usually keep tra- Gravedigger towards the end because like Gravedigger is the star. So they have him come out at the end. It's like the main <laughs> event. He's the main event. He's the main eventer. So, so do you? Do yeah. you guys remember the Bigfoot cartoon when we were kids? I do. And do you remember the toys? Like they had the little like switches, and you could make them go and like run over your Hot Wheels, which was the whole point of having them. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. I actually repaired once in an old job i repaired an 80s era bigfoot power wheel i had an i had a bigfoot power wheel i think when i was a kid those things are a pain in the neck (laughs) just so you know they sucked when we were kids like you had to charge those things for like 12 hours so you could like ride in it for two minutes and then the battery would be dead that that came from them not knowing how to tell people how to charge their battery correctly (laughs) I never had one of those, and I desperately wanted one. I I didn't either, so I, I I'm with you. I I uh, yeah, but they were pretty big, and like I said, Bigfoot had his own cartoon. So yeah, so in the course of this, um, big shocker, Hogan wins, <laughs> and we have uh, so we have this happen. Then afterward, since the Giants a heel. He's a sore loser, and he goes after Hogan. Did Hogan hit him first, though? Uh, Hogan wasn't out of the truck whenever Giant came stomping over to him. So Giant comes stomping over and kind of goes at Hogan, and then they go over to the edge, and 
the Giants like choking Hogan and quote unquote lifts him and they end up on the uh, the edge of the building. And so through some um, shall we say not top of the line acting stuff Hogan ends up knocking the giant off the building. Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) It was done as an accident because giants like choking him or something. And Hogan just like takes his hands and like busts the uh, giant's hand off him. Kind of like break the choke. We tried to save him too, even though giant fell like completely backwards. Yeah. Oh, giant's fall is actually kind of amazing. Because he doesn't just like, ah, off of it. He stands there and windmills his arms and teeters before he goes off the edge. I'm real curious what they had waiting for him right there. But it's it, it his fall is actually kind of amazing. It is. But the best part is when they come back and that monster truck guy's expression, like when they cut back to like Shivani and like, he did it, the monster truck guy. He's just sitting there like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Well, it was it was Bischoff and Heenan. But the monster truck oh, guy sitting Bischoff there with his right. mouth hanging open. Now, And he's like, he won't look at the camera either. He's just like looking away and down like in shame. It's like, yeah. <laughs> the other thing in this that I enjoy so much is Heenan makes it a point. If, if you guys ever watched any old Botchamanias, this was in there. But Heenan makes a point to ask Bischoff what side of the roof that the giant fell off of. Was it the riverside or the street side? And Bischoff responds with, you've got a parking lot and you've got a river. What difference does it make? And you watch Bobby Heenan slump over the desk and facepalm and hate his life a bit. Like, he dies a little bit inside in that moment. And if you watched Old Botchamania's, Matthew <laughs> attached that sa- attached the old duck hunt sound to that whenever the dog comes up with a duck. <laughs> and it is, honestly, it, just, just for that moment, it is one of the funniest things I have ever seen, just in the time it goes by. So oh, I forgot about that, too. That was, oh, yeah, yeah, like... Yeah, oh, <laughs> I enjoyed. <coughs> I enjoyed this. Sh- if if the rest of the show had no, not that one, when he actually comes up with the duck. Oh, okay. I enjoyed um, this, if for no other reason than that moment. Yep, that one right there, and uh, <laughs> so we had that happen, and then we went on into the next match. And it it has to be stated, Heenan spends like the next thirty minutes losing his damn mind. About yeah, this. <laughs> yeah. In fact, at the beginning of this, uh, the next match, the Savage Luger match, he says, and I can't believe he said this with a straight face. He's like, "This is going to be on the cover of every newspaper in the morning." <laughs> I'm like, "I don't think so, Brian. I don't think anyone's going to be talking about the giant falling off the roof." You got to give him credit. The the dude, um, he worked hard to sell the stuff. Well, I thought I thought where he did his best, and I know they dropped the Andre thing pretty quick, 
but like when Tony was trying to get him to shut up and he's like, and he's like, no, you don't understand. Like, you know, and he was like talking about like, I was close to his dad. Like, you don't understand. Like, I know they dropped that and that was a little tasteless, but like he really tapped into something decent there for about five minutes of it. Like where he really explained, yeah. like he really gave you like the why he was so upset about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was kind of a nice touch. <clears throat> so then, by the way, that's five minutes of watching monster trucks push each other. It feels longer than that. Um, I thought it was it was enjoyably bad, um, but you know it ended right about when it started losing its um, interest. I think the problem I had with it, like, I don't understand the point of it. Like, they were, so they were, they were attached to each other, and then they were just revving their engines at each other. Okay, I don't understand, but whatever. And then they were like, oh, his axles came out, and I'm, like, looking at the Giants truck, and I'm like, I don't know what happened to it. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, so the next match on the card was the Randy Savage versus Lex Luger. Um, this one only had about five minutes. And then, um, was, Jimmy Hart okay. got involved and tripped up, uh, tripped up Luger, right? No. Savage won. Yeah. With the elbow. Um, so, the, I, I think Hart was supposed to be aligned with Hogan at the time. Yeah, he was. Cause he comes, remember in the main event, he comes out with like the belt and stuff. And he, yeah. he changed his getup to all black because Hogan <laughs> went to the dark side. Right. So, you know, Savage and Luger have have a match. Savage wins with the elbow drop. Yeah. Yeah. Savage got a huge pop for winning. Oh, yeah. He's really over. And I know it seems like I'm glossing over this, but I'm, I'm getting to the, the, the cherry on top of this Sunday. Because the main event... Hulk Hogan is the champ. Supposed to take on the giant. Everyone's like, but the giant's dead or something. Right? Except here he comes. Walking out to the ring. Well, I like I like uh, Hogan trying to set up his criminal defense before 13,000 people and Michael Buffer. <laughs> I forgot about that part. So... We have, here we are, we're hanging out, and, um, you know, Hogan's out there talking, and then all of a sudden, here comes the giant, just walking down there with the Taskmaster. I feel like they kind of had him come out too quick. They could have gotten a couple more minutes out of that. Mm -hmm. They probably could have. There is a story I have heard as well. That um, the, when the giant came out, he was supposed to pull a fish out of his tights to show that he landed in the river. And no That's one ever. Of, no one ever what? No one ever got him the fish backstage before he came out. Oh, my See, God. That's if, a story if, I've heard. I, if I just just to be hilarious, if I was booking it, I would have had him pull an octopus out of his tights and like. Because you're in Detroit and like the Red Wings arena. (laughs) 
I could have seen it just be like if he had been soaked when he came walking out or something like that. But instead, he just kind of walks out and they're trying to sell it like, oh, he's so inhuman. But it's like we never got an answer to what happened. Yeah. So (sighs) Giant comes out and Giant Hogan for about what? Says 14 minutes. 14 minutes. Have a match. It's it's better than I expected it to be. Actually, when you when you when you realize like this is Giant has probably had single digit matches at this point <laughs> in his career. Like it's actually really remarkable. Um, I mean, Hogan really kind of works his butt off here. Yeah, and it's uh, you know it's 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 surprisingly pretty good. I, I like that Hogan kind of Hogan had some edge to him, like with his offense, like he was doing like the NWO era, like back rakes. Like this is where you could this is where it really kind of hit home that they might have been like test running a more heelish run for Hogan. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, his his gear very much looked like he pulled that gear out of the closet when it came time to, to be Hollywood Hogan because it had the same motif going on. The weird face paint on his head, though, was distracting. Yeah, the the Taskmaster face paint on his bald patch. Yeah. yeah. It, took, it took me a minute to figure out what that was, but then I realized it was the Taskmaster face paint. <laughs> yeah. But they, they did some cool stuff here. Like, they did some stuff, like, he did some callbacks to, like, his WrestleMania 3 match with Andre, like, in a couple spots. Like, I... <coughs> like, if... If, um, if you think Hogan's a crappy worker, like, this match isn't good, but... It's an interesting match to watch him take someone that's completely green through, like, I would say a match that someone of Giants experience level should not be able to have. I think that's a fair way of putting it. <clears throat> he did better than than you would expect him to do in those circumstances. Um, now, Big Show's, here's, Big here's Show's talked about this say, match, too. The thing I was going to say is, in the course of this I, I you know I said it was better than I expected it's in my opinion it's fine it's not great it's it's fine but again fine as far as I'm concerned is all you can really ask for sometimes yeah I like the um have you heard the the big show tell the story about like what Hogan did to him after this mm-hmm so I guess after this, like Hogan's like, man, you're the champ. Like, you know, you got to wear the belt around and stuff. So the giant has like the belt out at the airport and Sting's like, what the hell are you doing? Put that belt away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I guess I guess Giants talked about this. and He said, like, like he really had no idea what to do. And so, like, there's one point where he has him in the corner. He doesn't know what to do. So, like, Hogan, like, grabs his arm and, like, puts it around his neck, like stuff like that. Yeah, and, and that kind of clicks for him. Yeah. You could tell he was pretty green, but, I mean, they did a pretty admirable job. They got the crowd into it pretty good, too. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I will say, afterwards, like, this show just... I mean, this show wasn't good to begin with, but the the aftermath of this is just 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, we have the, the match ends because by DQ, um, because Jimmy Hart turns. Which the 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 camera totally misses him hitting the referee. Yeah. And like the announcers even miss it. Because I yeah. knew what he did. Like he hits the referee with the belt, but you don't see it because like the camera's to his back. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to tell that he's doing that with the belt. Yeah. So more more shenanigans happen. Um, Hogan and Hart get into it. So then the giant gets up, puts him in a bear hug. Then the the uh, Yete comes out and also puts Hogan in a bear hug. And it looks like he's getting gang banged. Yeah, it's it it just looks really. Inappropriate. It looks like he's getting humped. Yeah. Uh, story I've heard from Shivani, because other people have referred to that character as the Yeti, but Shivani was referring no. to him as the Yeti, and someone asked him, they said, why did you do that? He says, it was so stupid that I couldn't actually say anything, so I decided to make it even more stupid by calling him that. So then um, Savage and Luger come out, and then Luger turns on Savage and joins mm-hmm. in the fun and... Um, yeah. Yeah, and the course over the course of this show, the show ends with basically the Dungeon of Doom um, beating up Hogan and Hogan getting, you know, Oreo sandwiched and then uh, Savage getting Oreo sandwiched too, so... It was a. Uh, I did like when Heenan's like they're laying out in the ra- they they just got laid out and it couldn't have happened to two nicer guys. Yeah. To end yeah. the show, I always I always enjoyed hearing Heenan because he Heenan never cut Hogan a break and it was kind of refreshing. So. Well, that's the best part about those the NWO days is like Heenan is just a smug little dick for like the first six months because he was proven right yeah i, I told you so <laughs> it was so that was the end of havoc 95 um here's the thing <laughs> the uh ddp johnny b bad's good the anderson pillman flair sting is good You could probably do without the rest of it, though. That's that's yeah. my read on it. That's pretty much the long and short of it. You can, people can watch s- the monster truck and the main event yeah. just for like the curiosity factor, I guess. I the the monster trucks is worth it because it is stupid, and um, giant falling off the roof really is hilarious. <laughs> he even had the shout right. Because he didn't yeah. just, ah, he went, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and the, the main event, the main event, like, I'm not going to say it's good because it's not good. But if you're, if you want, like, if you're into the craft of professional wrestling, it is interesting in the aspect of seeing Hogan pretty much, like, baby step someone through, like, a pretty watchable match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
it's like I said, it's better than you would expect someone in the Giants' position to be. Because, um, because I'll say for me, like one of the things I love about um, New Japan shows are those early shows where like they have like Tenzan or Kojima working a young lion. And it's just them like walking this guy that's had like 20 matches to his name, like through an eight minute match and like showing them the ropes. Like I love stuff like that. So, so this match was interesting in that aspect to me, even if it wasn't like a great match. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's fair enough. Well, unless we have anything else we want to add we got a thumbs up or thumbs down it i mean oh god oh god why don't Um, we start with matt i am a i'm a big wcw fan um because i as i said before like when i got into wrestling i got into wrestling watching wcw and i loved old school nwa all of that but i did not like this show at all (laughs) And I actually, yeah. the funny thing is, if I recall correctly, when, like when I was a kid, I'm pretty sure I actually like begged my my parents to buy this pay per view. So I think I watched this like live. Wow. Oh wow. I think that was maybe. A bad ma- yeah, I don't know. I think I was. I think as a kid, like they sold me not so much on the monster trucks, but I think they sold me on like seeing the giant wrestle. I was really fascinated by the giant. I think my first ever pay per view that I ordered was Halloween Havoc '97. Um, I watched this and I thought to myself, you know, if you, if you want a thumbs up or thumbs down on it, then I, what I'm going to say is that I, to the, the opener and the horseman sting thing, big thumbs up for that. For everything Mm -hmm. else, I got a thumbs down and I have to separate those two. Like I, I have a really hard time reconciling such vast quality differences. Um, so you know, it, it's if you really want to see it, you can. Just don't say we didn't warn you. Um, but the the good stuff on it is good. It really is. The stuff that's not good ranges from fine to I have a headache setting in. So, that's my review. Yeah, I'm going to thumbs down it. This is this isn't as bad as um Halloween ha- I mean um Bash at the Beach was, but um 95 <laughs> is a is a, is a um pretty much a low point for WCW. Um this show is a little interesting in that it sets like it sets things in motion for them to actually turn things around in 96, but this show's not good. <laughs> the Johnny B. Bad and Diamond Dallas Page match is good, so watch that part, like watch that video package and that, and that's good. And I would say watch the Monster Trucks just because it's hilariously bad, but um, honestly, like you can just skip the show. Go watch like Halloween Havoc 97 or 89 or 92. All right, so <laughs> we set through it for you, so you don't have to. Every now and yes. then, we do a public service. 
And in so, fairness to the show, we picked it because it was bad, and it did not disappoint. <laughs> it uh, certainly didn't. Um, so, with all of that out there, we want to thank you, you all for... Did you rip one on the air? No, that was my chair squeaking as I turned it. Well, you lost the you lost the silence match. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, so... With all of that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for joining us. We've been in three corners. You're in the fourth. We'd love to hear from hear from you. This is Shad with Matt and Brad. Y'all have a good night.